What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 76 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey as we're seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. You and I are all navigating times we never saw coming, but that's what leadership's about, isn't it? The things we can't see, but we navigate day to day with a faith that drives us and a faith that leads us, and hopefully... We're adding some tools to the tool bag. Some other leaders like Brad Lominick that we got to listen to last week. Man, Brad just laid out so many great principles. And there are things that God allows us to learn from others so we don't have to learn all the lessons by ourselves. I want to say thank you to Wise Rocky 12 who wrote this on iTunes. He said, I listen to Mike's podcast on my lengthy Atlanta drives and the time goes so fast. I become engulfed with his conversations with some great leaders and always feel like I've invested myself during my drive. Listening and learning from his guests makes me feel better equipped to pour into others. Thank you so much, Wise Rocky. Hey, and the drives aren't as now long now. That's the one of the good things about it. Uh, man, I hope if you are enjoying these podcasts, you go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review that helps us so much. And I love sharing that with others. Well, as we navigate these uncertain times, our goal is to navigate with certainty, to navigate with a strength that's beyond us and a hope that's within us. Today, we get to sit down with an amazing leader. We sat down long before this pandemic, but I think her insights and thoughts are going to be huge for you. Her name is Jenny Katrin. Jenny has authored several books, Clout, Discover and Unleash Your God-Given Influence, The Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership. She is the founder and leader of the Foresight Group, speaking on topics of leadership and team culture and strategy with organizations, including businesses and churches speaks at large conferences as well as training events internally there. She's traveled all over the world as a brand manager, published three books in her 30s, was the founding member and executive director of Crosspoint Church in Nashville, leading them from growing from 500 to more than 6,000 in attendance and also expanding one to five locations. In the book, Catalyst Leader, Eight Essentials for Becoming a Changemaker, she was listed as one of the top 50 young leaders in the nation. Jenny is a thought leader, just much like Brad. Her podcast, the Jenny Katrin Leadership Podcast, is a must listen and something I always go to for my resource and my own learning. I think you're really going to enjoy this time. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my time with Jenny Katrin. 
Well, Jenny, it is an honor to sit down with you on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. Thanks for doing this today. I'm so excited. I'm glad to be a part. This is I've I've loved uh, loved listening and anxious for the conversation. Thank you. Me too. I am so excited. You know, as I've gotten to listen to you, and you've been on tons of podcasts, tons of great podcasts. You've got your own podcast. I do. You have a passion (laughs) about leadership. Talk to me about that passion. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because I. I stumbled into that passion by making a lot of errors as a young leader. I, um, I worked in the music business. Uh, or, or that was kind of my first job out of college, kind of my dream job as a kid, and uh, was promoted pretty quickly into position of leadership and had a team that I was responsible for. And I just realized pretty quickly things were not going well. I was, you know, out of you know, some of my insecurities and fears, I was barking orders and being probably the worst micromanaging boss people have ever experienced. And uh, I had a, I had one of my, my uh, mentors and bosses say to me, if you want to work with people, you're going to have to learn how to love them to lead them. Mm. And it was a really critical, like I count that as that moment that helped awaken me to the significance of leadership, that leadership is not just about the position or power or authority, but it's really about loving and serving others and drawing out the best in them. It's a much more about others than it is about you. And that just started my like crash course to learn everything I could about what healthy God honoring leadership looks like. And that passion's never waned. I just keep getting more, more deeply committed to the significance of what healthy leaders look like and the influence they have on people's lives. And faith was a part of your journey already at that point, correct? Yeah, it was. I, um, I came to faith as a, as a young girl, my parents divorced uh, when I was about five, and a couple years later, my great uncle invited my mom to church, and uh, we came to faith. And so, I, you know, I came to faith as a as a kid, but it was a really critical turning point in our family story. So, uh, my conversion, even though young, was very significant. And uh, and so that was always a part of my life and my story. But I I um, I pursued you know a, a, a passion to work in the music business as a young kid. I kind of always had like this ambition to be a CEO. So I was that odd little girl who thought I'm going to be a CEO of a record company someday. Why not? And nobody was telling me that I could or I should. Like I'm totally just think that was one of those little random God prompts that he you know uh, he gives you you know a little passion yeah. for something because he knows where where he ultimately wants to take you with that. But yeah, I, I'm I'm an odd little kid that wanted to be a CEO of a record company. But now at that point, so you, 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 you do that, you go to college, you begin in the music industry. Did you think at that time, okay, my faith is going to influence how I lead. Was that going through your mind at that point? Or I, was it, I have a faith and I am a leader during the week. What, how was all that blending in a young Jenny's mind at that time? That's a really, really good question. I think it probably wasn't as as conscious, but it was subconscious because I do remember at key points in that journey that my integrity as a person and my integrity as a leader, even in now the good the good news was that even in the music business, I worked in the Christian division of the company, which was super helpful. Now we were not a Christian owned company, so you know, we still had, you know, there were all kinds of things that you're navigating and, and things you had to, had to um, just process as you're working in a corporate environment. But I can remember in those early days that, um, that my faith, like my faith informing the decisions in how I live. Let me give you an example, Mike, that'll be like, um, 
it's just really practical. I was a, a newlywed, had to go on a business trip with another coworker who was male. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm making a decision in that moment of, okay, how, how am I and my husband going to navigate moments like this? Mm. Because I want to make sure our marriage is protected. You know, and th- this coworker was a good friend. There was nothing inappropriate about it. But it was one of those aha moments as a young newlywed and my, the, you know, the importance of our marriage and, you know, the values that were key for me as a person of faith to go, how do we navigate moments like this in, in the business, in my business, so that I'm doing it with integrity? And, you know, so it was one of that, you know, so those moments would happen. And I would say, okay, how do I do this as a person of faith? How do I, I I can't not go on the business trip. That's, that's part of my work. But how do my husband and I, and so my husband and I had a really great conversation about, okay, how do we make sure we have the right level of um, conversations, accountability with one another that make it, you know, so that I can do the work I need to do, but we've done the things we need to do to make sure we're, you know, we're, we're, we're being honoring of the things that are important to us. So that's just one little example that comes to mind that it was like the values that were important to me as a person of faith, I had to, I had to really process and think through and go, okay, how do I do this in this context? You know, it was interesting reading, reading a lot of your writing and listening to you talk. You've talked about, I know in your book, Clout, the crisis of purpose that you began to have. You you know you have a great purpose. You know God created you. You know that. You, right. you know him as your savior. You know Christ. But all of a sudden, I think for all of us, I know Henry Blackaby talks about it in spiritual leadership and experiencing God. We all face a crisis of belief. Unpack your crisis of purpose because I don't think there's a leader listening that has yeah. not gone through it. They just not have put those may not have put those words to it. Talk to me about that crisis of purpose. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, it was it was interesting because, as I said, as a little girl, I wanted to be a CEO of a record company. So that was the dream job. That was everything I was p- pursuing was related to that. I was in my late twenties, and I was I was really about a seat away from the executive wing at the at the record business, and my, uh, the church that my husband and I were a part of invited me to come on staff as executive director. And I thought, leave the music business, my dream job, the very thing I've been working for, for, you know, over a decade and, uh, leave that to go work for the local church. What in the world? And of course, then I'm feeling guilty because who wouldn't want to work for the local church. And I loved our church. We were, you know, some remarkable things were happening. And what I realized in that moment is that I had hung all of my identity on a particular role rather than a real understanding of that sense of like that core sense of purpose. Like what has God really called and gifted me to do apart from any one specific role? And I recognized I needed clarity on that, that I needed to understand what is that set of gifts of talents, experiences and opportunities, those things that God has given me that have shaped who I am. And can I get clarity on that sense of identity and purpose and it not be all tangled up in a specific job or a specific role? Because none of those things are forever. And I think we all, we all deal with that. And I still deal with this because I will naturally wrap up my identity in the, you know, I was, you know, the brand manager at a record company. And then I was the executive director of a church, you know, and so then there was all kinds of identity, you know, and so we have this tendency to, um, align our identity with a specific role. And that crisis of purpose moment really brought my attention to the fact that 
I need to be clear on my purpose. And then wherever God chooses to use that, whatever roles he has for me in this season, I'm clear on that purpose and, and I can, and I can live and lead authentically from that place. And I feel like that's a lesson I'm constantly learning, but that's, that was what that moment looked like for me. Isn't it amazing how many times we have to learn? I was talking to Sam Chand on a podcast and I said, okay, what's something we all need to know? And he said, you're always learning, you're unlearning and you're relearning always. Uh, And there's never a point that we get to. And I feel like I'm getting so old now. I'm getting to the point of going, okay, I've learned enough lessons. That's time for me to teach somebody some lessons but I'm relearning, relearning. now. Yeah, yeah, you're relearning. What was the purpose you discovered out of that for you, Jenny? What do you feel like that yeah. God inscribed on Jenny's heart that you can do unlike anybody else? What was that for you? Yeah, yeah. It, and that was kind of a fun journey. It was a little bit uh, exhausting at some points. But then like when the aha kind of came, it was that recognition that I'm really wired to help a leader put feet to vision. Mm. Like at, at my core, I love coming alongside a visionary who has a big idea for what they want to accomplish. And I am best uh, able, my, my gifts are to take a team of people and help align that team to accomplish that vision. So, and the aha for me was I was doing that in the record business because my job was, was to take the, the vision that the artist had for their music and help align our team of marketing and sales professionals to accomplish that vision while also selling some records. Right. Mm -hmm. So we had this, you know, keep the integrity of the vision that the artist has while also doing the things that will actually help sell records so we can meet our, our, our goals. But, um, so I was doing that in the record business and I felt like God just said, Jen, I need you to do that here at your local church. Here's the vision that God has put on the heart of this leader, help take that team and align them to put feet to that vision to help that make that vision possible. And so um, now there's more clarity for me. Like now with Foresight, the organization that I lead, that's what we do when we come alongside, uh, whether it's churches, nonprofits, businesses, we come alongside them and say, hey, let's see that vision that God has called you to. And let me help you align your team to work uh, congruently to accomplish that vision, that mission. And uh, so once you get clarity on that, then you go, okay, I can apply that in a lot of different settings. I, my family loves for me to do that too for uh, family vacations, right? Of course, like, that's right. I always end up being the one who has to plan family vacation because I'm like, you know, all right, where are where all are we going to go? How do we get everybody's vision aligned? And uh, anyway, so yeah, but, but it's, here's the beauty though: your personality. Either you would be doing it or wishing you had done it because somebody like me would have put it together and you'd have gone good. Cause what are you on yes. disc? I know, I know you're big in personality inventories. Yep. Are you a D I? I'm a DC. Oh, you're a military leader. Uh-huh, That's impressive. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit crazy making the C has, I feel like the C has lessened over time, but yeah, I'm a DC. Oh boy. He said, yeah. I'm a dish. I'm a dish trainer. Oh so yeah. So, I, you know, I, oh, I know I've already analyzed. I mean that, yeah, you're, 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 you're in charge. <laughs> Either you're gonna, you are going to be in charge or you're going to be in charge. That's yeah. just the way that works. That's that is, so that funny. Is the truth. Yes. Yes. That you, 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 you pegged me. So. That's so good. So here's Jenny on this track to 
driving and, and anybody that's not a personality person, I know with the Enneagram out there and Myers-Briggs, I'm a disc person. That D is that driver. The C is the, is the how to's of it. It's those, mm-hmm. it's those little pieces that you put together. You're wired that way. Has it all gone super smooth for you? Has it, has it been like God said, okay, you've had your crisis of purpose. Now I'm going to wave the magic wand and you're going to be right where you want to be. Has that been your journey? It is not. No, of course. Um, no, I, you know, I think, um, I, it, some of, yeah, there's, there's so many moments where it's like, okay, here's another hurdle of mm. you know, I've got to learn and I've got to rediscover some things about my leadership. One of my big passion points is um, kind of my little axioms is lead yourself well to lead others better. And I feel like that's one of those things God's constantly teaching me that um, I've got to lead myself first. I've got to pay attention to what's going on with me. You know, where, how am I doing emotionally, spiritually, physically, you know, relationally, all those dimensions of life. And, you know, every new season that brings new challenges pushes us out of our comfort zone a little bit. So, and and there've been critical moments like job changes or different seasons where, you know, things were just challenging. And uh, I remember in, uh, when I was at the church in Nashville, we had the, the epic floods of 2010 where a bunch of, you know, Nashville was underwater and we had a number of our staff and then a number of our congregation, you know, houses completely flooded, lost everything. And, you know, those were really critical moments of recognizing, okay, something is required differently from me as a leader in this moment. I mean, you had the practical reality of giving was down because people were directing, either they lost everything they had, or they were directing funds to friends and family who had. So giving's down, and yet our impact is higher than ever because we're trying to respond to all the needs in the community. And uh, so there are critical moments like that that stretch you as a leader and make you kind of find, kind of find seek out different strengths or, you know, really asking for God to give you wisdom and clarity and insight beyond your experience, you know? So there's moments like that where I'm like, those are those places where in hindsight, you reflect back and you're like, oh, I'm so grateful for that moment because it stretched me. It grew me. Um, Even when I left the church in Nashville and went to a church in California, I went kicking and screaming and it was clear that God was directing that. and, and, And I'll never forget my husband being the one that said, Jen, I think you're called to this. And for him, it meant giving up his job, having to completely restart. And I was like, dang it, because I was kind of banking on his job being the thing that kept us from moving. And, um, you know, it's those moments. So I did a cross-country move and from one senior leader seat to another or executive leader seat to another executive leader seat. And, um, and you, everything that you were confident and comfortable in is disrupted. And so now you're the new girl, but you're in the position of, you know, second chair position and you're trying to figure out how do I operate in this context? So there's a number of number of things like that, that again, the theme I come back to is how am I leading myself in those moments? Because how I'm mm-hmm. leading myself is ultimately um, what enables me to uh, just, you know, be super self-aware and to grow through those experiences and to hopefully show up as a healthy leader then for the people around me. That's so good. And you, and you, though you change it, anybody in business knows this, or even in the coaching world, you changed, you kept the same chair, different place, two stylistically different leaders. So I'm very familiar with both of those churches. You go from, from, from one, one type leader to Menlo park, where I know I've heard you talk about, he was a very different type leader and cared so much about your soul, so much about your own health. 
How did you relearn how to be that role while you were in it? Yeah, it was, it was super stretching, you know, because, and there were a lot of things going on in that move. I underestimated the impact of a move after I had been in one place for 17 years. So we had rich and deep community. And then we uprooted all of that as, you know, uh, I think I was just shy of 40 when I made that move. And so you're pretty, you're, you know, I was like, I thought I was really resilient. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, oh, I, you know, I, this is stretching. I'm having to grow. Uh, and so, I mean, the gift was working under, and John Orberg is a leader at oh. Menlo, working under John was just a remarkable gift because he, you know, he wrote a book called um, Soul Care. Yep. And, uh, and so his attention to the health of, of, of the people that he leads is so, is really a gift. It's absolutely beautiful. It was actually quite um, unsettling for me because I'm a doer. And so I wanted to come in with my long list of all the things that we needed to do. And I wanted to, I'm an Enneagram three for the people who do Enneagram yeah. and I'm a D, D on the, on desk, that driver. And so I love accomplishing things. I love being able to show, Hey, here's what I did. And here's why it matters. And give me a big rah, rah. And, you know, tell me I'm amazing. And, uh, and in that season, John was much more concerned about how I was doing mm. as a person, how my husband and I were doing as a couple. And he wasn't celebrating all my accomplishments. In fact, he had very few, like, he didn't have like this, he wasn't driving me to achieve. He was actually coaching me to slow down and just let myself, you know, like grow and learn through the season and take time to build the relationships and the connections. And, uh, and that actually was really hard for me. I think it would have been easier for me to have gone in and had to prove a bunch of things and make a bunch of changes and uh, in that environment, it, and it, you know, I went from a kind of more of a startup mentality in the church yep. that I was in in Nashville to a hundred and forty something year old denominational <sighs> church that has a lot more like just you know any organization of that stage and age just has a lot more complexity in the system, and so they move a bit slower. That's kind of the nature of the beast, and um, so it was it was learning that culture that when it was so different from my wiring that uh, it stretched me, it stretched me in new ways. It was a, it was, it was good for me, but it was hard. Yeah. If, if you've, if you're out there and you've never read John Ortberg, which I would be shocked if you have it, his new podcast is fantastic. It is. It's oh, fantastic. it's so good. So unique and just such a, and, it, and it's so neat. I don't know, John, never met John, but you feel like, you know, him through his writings and sure. you, you, you sense that it's neat to hear your end of it and, and how, you know, we use a phrase a lot on here. God never wastes our time. He never wastes our experiences. And God used all of that in Jenny's life to prepare her for today. And your new book, the four dimensions of extraordinary leadership is, and I, and I told you this before we went on air. I, I am an avid reader. I'm avid about leadership, but especially about spiritual leadership. Sure. You, you blended the two as well as any book. And I, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, but you blended these two as well as anybody that I've seen walk us back yeah. through where this whole thought came from of these sure. dimensions, because they're there, we're aware of them, but yeah. you really took a great big flashlight, shown it in so we could see it. Walk everybody through that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this was this was part of my own journey of as a leader. What I was discovering was, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about my personality. So I'm very driven. I'm very get it done, make it happen. 
And, you know, what I quickly learned is that if that's the only way you lead, um, you're not going to win a lot of friends, you know, <laughs> like, that's right. you, know, that's you're right. Gonna, you might get a lot done, but eventually it's going to become an inhibitor. That's right. And, uh, and I really, this really kind of awakened for me. It's some in the music business, but when I went into church ministry, I realized, oh, there are some other dimensions of leadership that are going to be important for me to succeed, right. In order to earn influence and credibility. And, you know, in a, in a church context, Yes, I had a staff team that I was responsible for leading, but there's a ton of volunteers and congregation that you lead, but they're not, they don't have to be there. They don't have to show up. They're not getting paid. You know, there's all kinds of things that, you know, kind of force you to tap into some other skills as a leader. So I started like working through these concepts and I was teaching our team of that, you know what, I think every great leader needs to be a relational leader. Uh, They know how to need to know how to connect with people and build relationships every great leader needs to um, be a spiritual leader. They need, your faith needs to show up in your work. And when you're in a context, you know, that's church or Christian, then that can be overt. But even in a business context, your faith needs to inform your decision-making, your morals, your integrity, you know, whether you can overtly say it's about your faith, it needs, it needs to show up. Um, You need to be strategic. You need to be making things happen and you need to be casting vision to help people understand where we're going and why we're going there. So I was kind of living with these four dimensions in that, and, you know, just kind of going, you know what, I need to lead. I need to have these four things in mind, whatever I lead. When I show up to a meeting to lead a staff meeting, I need to make sure I'm creating a little like fun, engaging relational moments for us to just hang out as a team. I need to be pouring into them as a spiritual leader, investing in who they are and, 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 um, coaching those things out of them. I do need to tell them where we're going, what we're doing. I need to be giving clear direction, but I need to remind them of why we're going there. So every environment that I would go in, I would start going, am I, am I tapping into these four? Well, then I was actually trying to put it into a book. So here's the funny part of the story. I'm trying to put this, these concepts into a book and I'm like, "Mm, there's no good acronym there. There's, you know, like there are four points, but what do I do with that? And um, and I'm reading back through the Gospels, and I get to the passage in Mark where um, Jesus is getting the questions about taxes, resurrection, like they're trying to throw in those zingers, right? And then they say, what's the, the most, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I know that. I memorized that back in, you know, in Sunday school. And I felt like the spirit of God say, no, hey, slow down for a minute. Like, look at what this means for leadership. And I thought the great commandment in leadership, like, do those go together? You know, and so I slow down and I'm reading it. And I pull out some study guides and, and I'm noticing that, you know, of course, it's love God and love others. But there's that clarification of loving with your heart, soul, mind and strength. Yeah. And I thought, well, curious because I don't Jesus didn't waste a lot of words you know like you know typically he was he was pretty pretty to the point he didn't use a lot of extra fluff and I I do some research behind it and it's and the implication is that that the distinction is that heart soul mind and strength is our whole being that that is all of who we are that's all of who God created us to be and so we're supposed to love God and love others with our whole being And I thought, you know, as I'm thinking about leadership, and I'm even reflecting to that mentor years before who had said, Jenny, if you want to learn to lead people, you're going to have to learn how to love them. Hmm. And I thought, there it is. There's that that point of, you know, leadership is really all about loving and serving others. It's not about me. 
And so if leadership is about really using my gifts for the glory of God, and if leadership is about loving others, then right here in the great commandment, we get this framework for what great God honoring leadership looks like, right? Like if, if, if the, the great commandment is to love God and then love others, then leadership should be an overflow of that. It doesn't need to be this other framework somewhere over here. And then I'm looking at heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going, okay, here's heart, that relational side of leadership that I've been feeling like I needed to be really intentional about. Here's soul, that's that spiritual side of leadership where my faith needs to inform my work and what I'm doing. Here's mind, and that's, you know, I need to use my mind. We need to be strategic. We need to build plans. We, God gives us a brilliant mind to do great work. So we need to bring our minds. And then, uh, and he says strength. And in the context of leadership, I look at strength as that visionary side, because um, Proverbs tells us that without vision, people perish, right? Without a vision, without a sense of where we're going, um, we'll perish. And so there's a strength that vision brings to a team. And so that became the framework for me. I said, you know what? I don't need another model of leadership somewhere else. Right here in the Great Commandment, we get a framework for leadership that really pulls it all together. Because what I've discovered about myself, and I see this with a lot of leaders that I work with, is that most of us are strong in one or two of these dimensions. You know, I'm, a, I'm all mine, right? I'm going to build the plan. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to drive, 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 drive to get the thing accomplished. But when that is lacking heart, I am a pretty miserable leader to work with, right? And then I have some friends, especially on the ministry side, who are highly relational, right? They, they can sit down and have coffees with people and hang out and, you know, and love people well. But then sometimes they're not as good at making sure that we're actually moving the ball forward and, and getting stuff done. And, uh, and so the thing that I loved about this framework is that Jesus doesn't say love God and love others if you have heart or if you have soul or if you have mind or if you have strength. The implication is that it's in us. And that maybe became one of the most hopeful things for me as a leader was that it's in me. So I had, you know, there are a number of years in my leadership where people called me heartless and uh, which was super painful because it wasn't really true, but that is what they were experiencing. They were experiencing all my drive of making things happen and I had somehow told myself that heart didn't belong in the workplace, mm. you know, that, that I was supposed to be this stoic, make it happen, get it done, hard charging leader. And uh, so the growth for me has been, oh, wait, it's not even that heart's not in me. Um, the, the, you know, the, the Jesus implies that that is my whole being is heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how do I tap into that as a leader? And so that's my, that's kind of the framework. That's been my own journey as a leader is to say, I think extraordinary leadership shows up when we as leaders learn how to tap into those four dimensions and lead with all of who we are. That, I'm Sorry, telling you, I, no, Jenny, lot. it's brilliant. And I, and here's what I love about it. I love it because it applies at any place you serve. For it sure. can be in the brand business in yep. music. It can yep. be in the banking world. It can be in real estate. It can be in coaching. It can be in church. Those things and that in the self-awareness piece, none of us are good at all of them. Right. And we're right. always in process. Oh, and this is just a curiosity question. Who is the best strength leader you've met? Who is somebody you said, man, when it comes to casting vision, they are as good as I've ever seen. And I don't know this is where they would score because you've got a great mm -hmm. tool in there. Great yep. assessment for people to take. Um, I don't know if this is where they'd score, but boy, from the outside, they look like 
that is their deal. Who's who's a leader you've looked at and said, boy, they they I think they've got that piece. That's probably their primary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, one of the one one of the leaders that I worked with um, at the church in Nashville was exceptional at that. That just you know that ability to um, cast a vision with confidence, mm, with boldness, mm. with clarity. Uh, and assurance. I think that's the thing I always admire about leaders who lead really well with strength is that, you know, there's just that confidence. You, know, I think of um, one of my favorite uh, characters, if you will, in the Bible is Deborah. And, uh, you know, so as a female leader, I got to love the, you know, female leader from scripture. <laughs> but you notice that when Deborah is, is telling Barak that they're supposed to go take on um, the Canaanites and go into this battle, she doesn't say, well, I think God is saying, or I think maybe, you know, I'm kind of sensing that God is telling us we should. She says, no, the Lord, your God commands you go into battle. And like, there's such an assurance in, in her, like in the way she conveys it. Now, I don't know what her conversations were with God in the in-between, but the way she, she cast that vision, casts it with such clarity and conviction that I'm like, I want that. Like, I want that ability to know God has led me, has called me, and, and I am supposed to go. We are supposed to go. And uh, that's one of the, I mean, I know I'm going, I'm going biblical example on that one, but that level of clarity and confidence, I think that's a mark of somebody who leads well with strength and it comes very naturally for them because strength is like my second highest but I still want to do, Hey guys, I think God is calling us to this, or I kind of sense mm-hmm. that we should be going in the, I always like kind of couch it a little bit. Yep. And, uh, I think somebody who that's really their natural, uh, dimension, there's a lot of just confidence and clarity. Now it should be coupled with humility, right? Cause we also Correct. have seen people who will, who will lead with that kind of strength and it's kind of brazen and, um, you know, and you can, you got to sniff that out a little bit, but well, it, but it's it's like uh, it's like disc or enneagram. What you aren't is not an excuse that you can't right. learn and get better. Now, it's never going to be your. It's never a vision for me. It's probably never going to be my top vision and management. Heart yeah. heart comes natural. Relationships sure. come natural. Soul comes natural. Yeah. But I can't just because of the role I have. I can't. I don't have the cop out of going. Well, yeah. you know, I'm just no good at that. I can't. And, but God equips us. What I love about it's the self-awareness piece. We're always in process. We're always growing. That's why there's books. That's why there's podcasts. That's why there's things that make you better. And I know in the book, you talked a lot about Nehemiah. You you talked a lot about, and and I love biblical characters because I think God left those for us to go. You don't have to be perfect for me to use you in my story. What is it about Nehemiah that you go, God, there's just something about his journey that grabbed me as a leader. Yeah. And he is truly one of my favorites, but I think I love Nehemiah because he like, he got some stuff done. That's right. uh, (laughs) Of course, that's where you would go. Of course. course. I mean, you know how fast that guy got the wall done. Unbelievable. Right. How many years was it before him that it kind of kept laying it? Like people would try and attempt and then, you know, and Nehemiah gets it done. So that's why I love Nehemiah. So good. But here's what's fascinating. Cause I do in the book, I kind of look at Nehemiah and I, and I, I pull apart how you see all four dimensions in his story, you know, so he's not even near the wall. He's away doing the cool thing of being the cupbearer to the King. And, you know, he's in a position of pretty cool influence, but he hears 
that the wall is in ruins and the people are discouraged. And so you see his heart, like mm, right off mm. the bat, you see Nehemiah's heart that he recognizes God's people, his people are discouraged, demotivated, like just they're floundering. And even though he's, he's doing great, like he's over hanging out with the king, getting to do some cool stuff. He, you see his heart, that he has a heart that is burdened for the people of God. Um, you see, you know, throughout it, one of the things that stands out to me, and I always tell people to do this, is read through the book of Nehemiah and notice every time Nehemiah prays before he takes action. So this was super convicting to me because I'm a take action girl. Yeah. But if you read Nehemiah's story, before he ever goes to ask the king for permission to go attend to the wall, he prays. And, uh, and there's, I mean, this is one of my favorite things is to go through the story and notice every time he prays before he moves. Mm, And and so you you see that spiritual side of his leadership show up and that there's a posture of he is seeking God. He is praying for direction before he just does the thing. And then, um, you know, mind, we see him strategically build the plan, go, you know, cast the vision to the different powers that be that are going to help him make this possible. And so throughout the whole story, you see all four of those dimensions in play, even as they're building and people are starting to get discouraged, you know, his heart is kicking in. He's noticing what's going on with the people. And instead of going, come on guys, don't you see, this is what's, you know, he's like, okay, Hey, let's, you know, he rearranges, you know, he re redeploys people to kind of help, you know, kind of manage all of that. So I just feel like he's a fantastic example of a leader who demonstrates all four of those dimensions in a pretty remarkable way. Yeah, I, I love that verse. It's sort of hidden away in there. You know, the critics have come after him. They've gotten to the people. The people aren't the the people aren't as bought in as they were. It doesn't seem yep. like such a great job anymore. Yep. And there's a verse. I think it's verse twenty three in one of the chapters. It said that the people began to look at the rubble. Yeah, you know, and I think in yeah, every yeah, yeah. leader's life, we've cast a vision, yep. and yet there's a point our people begin to look at the rubble and that's when Nehemiah begins to recast and he begins to put them on top of the wall with their swords and, and all those kind of things. You did such a great job unpacking that story with, when someone looks at Jenny's life and somebody says, okay, I want to model my leadership after her. Maybe it's a pastor you're working with. Maybe it's a nonprofit that you're working with and, and you're giving them good tips and advice and, and all those kind of things, but they're watching you and, and they're, you're rubbing off on them. What do you hope rubs most off on them? What do you want to be that the part of you that lingers and they're on somebody's podcast one day and they said, I know, you know, Jenny, Mm. tell me about her. What was she like as a leader? What, what do you want said about you? Yeah, gosh, that's a humbling question in in many ways. Cause you, I think it's, I think it's an important question in that every leader needs to be thinking about that of, you know, one of the, the big things for me is the significance of influence and understanding that we have influence with every person we're engaging with. And as leaders, you know, our staff team day in and day out that influence that we have, um, I think that my hope would be on the other side of it that um, that people would say um, she, you know, that 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 I challenge them to be more intentional with their influence. I challenge them to be more thoughtful with their leadership. Um, that um, that they're more more aware of leading themselves well, and um, I think those are those are the things I would hope for that they they 
they're a better leader because I was willing to coach, encourage, support. Um, I think of I think of that mentor in my life who one statement completely changed my trajectory of leadership. Um, and I, you know, and I would hope that um, I didn't just make them happy, but I made them better. That might sound a little harsh, but like, but I didn't just make them happy, but I actually helped them be a better version of who God's called them to be a better leader. I hope you enjoyed that time with Jenny. What a fascinating leader. I I will tell you this, her book, The Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership, is truly one of the best books I have read in a long, long time. And the way she breaks down spiritual leadership and the dimensions that are created there is spectacular. And in fact, I'm going to be taking some of my leadership groups in the future year through that book. And I can't wait to really dig into it with some amazing leaders and pull out the truths that Jenny shares with us there. Thank you so much, Jenny, for sharing your heart for Jesus, sharing your passion for leadership, and helping us all be better leaders because of our time listening with you. Where our next episode will not disappoint. You get to meet a man who has probably outside my own family influenced me more than any other leader that I know. His name is Ike Reichard. Ike is not only the CEO and leader of Must Ministries, a massive nonprofit here in Atlanta, he's the pastor of Piedmont Church in Marietta. He is one of the most influential Christian leaders in America and has been doing it for years. He was my pastor growing up. He was the founding pastor of the church that I pastor now, North Star Church. We were able to start North Star together. He was the senior pastor and I was his associate pastor. And when he made his transition in 03, my role changed then. But truly to this day, when I count heroes, Ike Reichard's one of them. And his story of adversity, his story of passion and dreams and how God has allowed him to do all that he's done is going to inspire you and leave you a better person. I can't wait to share it with you. Well, until then, know that I'm praying for you during this time. Know that we're here. If I can ever serve you in any way, do not hesitate to reach out to let me know via Twitter, Facebook, the website, and just let me know how we can serve you. But go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and place he put you. And I can't wait to gather again with you really soon. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.